Welcome to the Making Kids Count podcast brought to you by Kentucky Youth Advocates, where we sit down with policymakers, community leaders, and youth to discuss ideas to make Kentucky the best place to be young. Now here's your host, Terry Brooks. Thanks for listening to Making Kids Count. This is Terry Brooks, and today the focus of Making Kids Count is kinship care. If there is an issue that has animated KYA institutionally, and I've got to tell you, me personally, over the last few years, it has been kinship care. Uh, I think some of that is that we frankly were not aware of the extent of kinship care in Kentucky until just a few years ago. The more we have learned about kinship care, uh, absolutely the more we believe it is a vital component of serving children across the Commonwealth. So when we think about experts and voices around kinship care, there is absolutely no one who plays a more prominent role than our guest today, Norma Hatfield. Norma, welcome to Making Kids Count. We are so glad to have you here. Uh, Norma is from Hardin County. She's president of the Kinship Families Coalition of Kentucky. And most importantly, as a grandmother, Norma knows what it means to be a kinship caregiver. Debbie Yetter, the noted journalist with the Courier-Journal, has frequently deemed Norma as mobilizing the grandma underground because of her tireless advocacy for kinship families. So again, Norma, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. I'm happy to be here. So there is no way that we can begin to talk about this issue from a policy perspective without you beginning by telling us your personal story. Uh, Every time I hear it, uh, I'm humbled and I'm inspired. So take us back to that famous Disneyland trip moment and bring our listeners up to speed as to what happened to you on a personal basis and how that really has impacted your life and mobilized your voice around this issue. Um, So this was in the summer of 2014, and let me just kind of say, I was an empty nester. I was traveling. I had taken an early retirement, you know, going to Europe, doing all kinds of really great things. And um, um, I had planned a weekend trip for my granddaughter to Disney World, her very first trip. She was five years old, so we were really excited about it. And... um, uh, Thursday morning, I go over there to pick her up, and I'm knocking on the door, and nobody's answering, and a neighbor walks over, and she tells me that um, she doesn't realize she's telling me this, but she's telling me how my world is totally turned upside down, and nothing would ever be the same again. Um, She told me that uh, the youngest child that was in the house, who was 17 months old, had ingested meth from a spoon that was in the bathroom, had been taken to Cosayers, and the other children were placed in a car with a social worker taken to another county, and they were placed in foster care. And that's how things changed. So I, um, we go to the CPS office. We think it's pretty easy to get her because um, we never received a phone call. And it doesn't work that way. Once you're in the system, you're in the system. 
And we went through the system for about 18 months. We, we did take my, get my granddaughter. We took her stepsister as well. We have permanent sole custody, and they are doing wonderful. But um, when we went through that system, we saw a lot of things that we felt really needed to be changed. And so I decided somebody needed to say something. And that's how it started. I started writing letters. I went to the local support group in Hardin County because I'm desperate for information. I started meeting all these great grandparents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, and they're struggling. Um, it, it was something I had no idea about how hard it is. They're taking in sibling groups of four to eight kids living on Social Security. And um, so as I went to get more and more information and started uh, reaching out to a lot of organizations such as Kentucky Youth Advocates and the Kinship Families Coalition of Kentucky, I, I got smarter. I started learning more and more about it, started meeting more people. And I said, we got to do something about this. We've got to get help for these kids that have been removed from their home and, and um, placed with their families who need that assistance. We've got to help these kids rebuild their lives. Okay. And we're going to circle back to that toward the end of this podcast by inviting you to coach up our listeners on how to make their voices heard. Okay. You know, it's important, I think, uh, that listeners understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about kinship, because it can get kind of confusing. Uh, we use the numbers a lot that there are some 100,000 children in Kentucky in kinship care. Uh, that's the highest rate of any state in the nation. Uh, listeners, you, you need to think about kinship care in what I would call three buckets. Uh, there is kinship care due to removal from the home. I think that typically, Norma, would be a crisis occurs, not dissimilar to what happened to you. Uh, the cabinet looks for a place for temporary placement, and that grandma or grandpa steps up. Uh, we also have the concept of relative foster care, where that kinship provider, that grandma, that grandpa, that other relative or close friend can become certified as foster parents, though the cabinet maintains official custody of the child. And then by far uh, the largest number of kids in Kentucky within the kinship care system live in informal kinship care which, as the name suggests, is sort of an unofficial arrangement. Uh, listeners, what I would encourage you to do is to go to KYA's website uh, under publications. There's some really informing infographics and other materials. So if you want to dig into numbers and terms and definitions, uh, there are plenty of resources there for you. But what I'd like to do, Norma, is shift a little bit to the focus on Frankfurt. Uh, you and the Kinship Coalition are key partners in the Blueprint for Kentucky's Children. And as you know, we're going after a couple key wins for kinship families this session. Uh, the first really deals with financial pressures and burdens, uh, especially in terms of the relative placement support benefit. Uh, I'd like you to talk about, you, you have such connections, can, can you talk about what you perceive as the financial pressures and the financial supports that kinship families uh, across the state need as the General Assembly and as the governor begin to craft their budget for the next biennium? 
Yeah. Um, so you have to stop and think. Um, when when a child is removed, and, and let's say you're, for me, a grandma, I had no idea this was going to happen. And a lot of these grandparents and great-grandparents, aunts and uncles, they're getting a phone call, and then just instantly their life has changed. And they've got to go and buy bedding and, and car seats and formula, diapers, clothes. They're, they've got to go buy everything just to have the basics just for a child to go to school, um, just to get through a day. A lot of people think just because these kids are family, they can go back to the house and they can go get everything, and it's all it, it, it's no big deal. It's, it's not. Let me tell you. It's a big deal. It's a right? very big deal. And when you have it, like in my case, when there was meth in the house, you're not touching anything mm-hmm. in there. You're, you're not allowed to go back in there and you don't want to. Um, so they're starting from scratch. And um, there's, they don't instantly have money sitting in their account. You think about grandparents that are, you know, widowed and they're living on Social Security and they're in a one-bedroom home and they've got all of a sudden a baby and um, three, four other siblings. They're not ready for that. And that's not even to mention the element of trauma that not just for the kids but probably for that grandma or grandpa because uh, – Generally speaking, uh, these kinds of situations grow out of a crisis, uh, grow out of some tragic situation. So one element of economic needs that we believe the governor and the General Assembly can address is that formal phrase is sort of that first-time placement so that uh, children are coming into a home. And what I hear you saying is kinship families need adequate startup money to just get off the ground. The other thing that we hear, I think, a lot from kinship families is that they need the same level of support as foster parents do. Currently, uh, a foster parent gets significantly more money uh, on a monthly basis than does kinship families. And unless I'm wrong, you don't get a discount at Kroger's uh, because you're a kinship uh, giver. (laughs) So can you talk about just that as well in terms of the economic stress that you perceive being on kinship families? Yeah, so um, there's there's some categories that I see. You've got the single grandparent that's living on Social Security, and they've got these children, and they have to deal with everything, and they may even feel like they've got to try to get an attorney. Most of them can't afford it. Um, so they're trying to do the very, very basics there. Then you've got the... Um, the element of caregivers that may be still working or a young couple, siblings, that they're, you know, they're going to take care of and they're working. And you can't necessarily go to work. You're missing work. Kids are sick. Um, you've got, um, you know, all the demands of being in court and all of the other things that are out there. And if you've got a baby, and we have such a high rate of drug-addicted babies in Kentucky um, that are born, and um, it, you know, I've talked to couples where one of the two of them who were month to month before the kids, they take these babies in, they have to quit their job. 
So assistance needs to come with these kids, just like they do with foster kids. We, we have such a high rate of kids in Kentucky that are struggling, and they shouldn't be penalized on the, the day-to-day resources just because they're living with a family member or a fictive kin, you know, the neighbor. Um, the kids need what the kids need, and they've, they're dealing with so much already, the abuse, neglect, the trauma, and things. They need the basics, and that, that shouldn't be another thing that, that the caregiver or the child has to worry about. So, listeners, this podcast has a little bit different tone, uh, and the podcast during the session are going to have this tone because along with you listening to Norma, our mutual message is to take action. So this podcast is going to drop a week before Governor Bashir gives his budget address. Uh, if you want to support kinship families, you need to be saying to his office and to the General Assembly uh, – Two things we need right out of the start is an increase in that relative placement support benefit. That goes to the heart of what Norma was talking about, that a grandma finds her grandkids literally on her porch. She needs resources to get that crib, diapers, and formula. Second, on a long-term basis, we need that monthly support to increase if this is a sustainable effort. The third area that the Blueprint for Kentucky's Children and KYA and Kentucky's Kinship Coalition is pushing is to provide respite care for caregivers. Now, Norm has heard me say that I have eight grandkids and I love them to death. When they're all at the house on Sunday, I've got to go to work on Monday to rest, and they're there for fun. Uh, That's not what kinship families face. We know that foster care families already have support for respite care, which is just a temporary break from the ongoing responsibilities to uh, caregiving. Uh, It gives caregivers that kind of balance, that kind of break they need to sustain it. And, And we're strongly advocating that the state provides that kind of respite care for kinship families. Norma, talk from a personal perspective and from all those kinship folks you know, uh, put some voice into what I just said. I I laid out the policy effort, the budget request. Uh, Talk to our listeners about what that's like day in, day out, no break, being a grandma or an aunt or an uncle or a grandpa and raising those little kids. Thank you. This is near and dear to my heart. Um, So you've got two different aspects I want to kind of share with you as far as respite care. You've got um, the grandma as an example. So she doesn't know that the the child's being removed. And and a lot of times when these children are removed, they are um, seriously abused or neglected. That's a lot to deal with. Um, And those children require a lot of care and therapy. You've got the court requirements that are out there. And then you've got to deal with the fact as a grandparent that your adult son or daughter may have been involved or is involved in whatever uh, precipitated the child being abused. That's a lot of emotional things that you're dealing with as well. And you might be off trying to, to, to monitor what's going on in a criminal hearing as well as dealing with family court. That's a lot. No matter what else is going on in your life, you know, for me, I had two sick parents. My mom had Alzheimer's. My dad had cancer. So I was also dealing with that. Um, so the idea of giving me 
a little break just to kind of go process things myself from time to time, that's priceless. You know, the other thing I wanted to share, I had a lady, and I think I've told you this before, Terry. Um, there was a lady, she, she became a fictive kin caregiver. She was a nurse. Um, she, had, she was young. She had a young family, and she was doing visit with this elderly couple who had uh, just been given custody of their uh, grandchild, baby. And so over time, she was doing the visits, and she saw how hard it was for them. And so she basically gave um, an official respite care. Let me take the child for an hour. Let me give you a break. She saw how hard it was for them. And over time, that became full-time for her. Mm -hmm. So the child was placed with her. And she had a young family, and she was working, and her husband was working. And she reached out to me actually about this time last year. And she said, um, the social workers come to me, they want to do placement, they want to, they want to establish permanency, the parents have lost their rights, and they want to know now. I need a break. I just want one weekend, one day, so that our family can a talk life to... A decision, Yes, right? and, yeah. and they wanted to talk to their kids, they wanted to see how the house felt without the child, and they, they wanted to make that decision together. And the answer was, there is no respite care. There is no formal thing for you to have. So make the decision, we're go or we're going to go ahead and find somebody else that will foster and adopt. And so the family wasn't comfortable without having that little break. So they ended, the child ended up being taken out of the home, and this was like on a Friday. She calls me up on Sunday, and she's in tears, and she said, my whole family's devastated. We want the child back. Um, all we asked for was a small break so that we could clear our heads and make this decision. That's why we need, need respite care. There's, there's all different reasons that are out there that people need a little break, kind of clear their head. Um, it's, it's in the best interest of the child, and it's best interest of the family and the caregiver. And that, that's a big deal. They have it for foster parents for a, for a good reason. They need to do the same thing for fictive kin and kinship families. Great, great explanation. Uh, again, listeners, uh, we're going to keep coming back to this today. Uh, what we are asking you to do on behalf of Kinship Kids is to make three requests to the governor and three requests to your legislator around kinship. Uh, increase that initial placement benefit. Increase the monthly support. And fund respite care for every kinship family. So those are three very distinct and three very clear ask. Again, resources around those requests are posted on KYA's website. So if you need more information, get in touch with us or uh, go to that website. Norma, I've got a couple other uh, questions I want you to weigh in on before our time ends. One is if you were talking to a kinship caregiver right now who may be struggling, may be wondering, did we make the right decision? Can I keep going? Can I keep doing this? Uh, talk a little bit about the helps, the tips, support groups. Uh, what advice would you give to that kinship caregiver who's listening saying, you know, Norma may have it together, but I sure don't. Uh, give them some direction. Give them some coaching. Okay. Um, the first thing I would tell people is one of the first things I was told, which is find a support group. 
Um, I know there's a stigma with some people when they hear the word support group. Think of it as a networking opportunity. But um, that's where you're going to get your first line information. That's where you're going to find out about the resources that are available in your in your community, you know, food banks or clothes closets and things like that. Um, this is also an opportunity to talk to other people that have been through or going through what you're going through. That is priceless. Um, just knowing how to navigate the system and answer your questions. That's how I found out about the Kinship Families Coalition of Kentucky. Um, so that's where, you know, I tell people to kind of start, get some of the basic information. You know, the other, the positive thing about support groups is that a lot of times they they help each other with the kids. And, um, you know, I'll watch the kids while you go to court. Collective child care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, and so for me, just having that support arm um, is so invaluable. That's, that's kind of where I tell people to start. And I would also guess that those support groups are such important levers to eliminate that sense of isolation yes. or I'm unique in this problem, sort of the idea that we're all in this together and there's a lot of commonalities. Is that a oh, yeah. fair assessment? Yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, you know, if you want to go and have a heart to heart with somebody, you can do that. Um, if you want to go in there and just sit and listen, so, but still the fact that you're not alone. And that's probably the thing that I see as I go around the state is that people want to know they're heard and they're not alone. So look for that support group, whatever shape that might take in your local community. The, the other thing that I wanted you to weigh in on, and again, I've heard you talk about that a lot, that a few years ago, you may not have seen yourself as that powerful voice in Frankfurt, which you have become. Uh, you know, when we need testimony around kinship, when we need somebody's voice being heard by the media, uh, it's you and it's your friends in the Kinship Coalition. Uh, that's not what you were doing a few years ago, no. but you have <laughs> understood the power of that, but you've also understood that everybody can play a role in that. So I'd, I'd like you to just kind of reflect on what that's been like for you. Uh, you've testified, you've been in the press. Uh, talk to our listeners about that experience and why they should uh, think about how to best utilize their voice on behalf of kids. Absolutely. Um, that's probably the second thing I would tell people. Um, the first is to find a support group or find that network. Um, the second one is um, be heard. Um, I wrote letters for the fir- for two years and uh, to anybody and everybody I could think of, and I, I didn't give up. And so eventually I um, uh, got connected with uh, Kinship Families Coalition of Kentucky, and they helped me learn how to focus my message better. And, you know, and, and probably the tip that I would tell people there is keep it brief, but be authentic in telling your story, and then make it very clear to the legislator what you're asking them for. Um, what I realized when I reflect back is my letters were way too long, and I had such a long laundry list of emotional things. I, I'm sure that's why they couldn't sort it all out. So you want to keep that brief. And then, um, you know, you can go online. You can look for who your legislator is. I didn't even know back Mm -hmm. then. You can look that up, and you can email them. You can make a phone call. You can do um, a handwritten letter. I did all of those. And um, eventually, I had our local senator, happened to be Dennis Parrott, when I was lobbying for kinship care. And he met with me after I learned how to write my letter better. Right. 
And I just sat down and I told him my story and I showed him the infographic that, um, that was available at that particular time that was on the KYA website. And he told me, he said, let me get back with you. And he did a couple months later. And, um, then we had the first pre-file built in, in several years. So the, the, the tips that I would tell people, um, you know, again, is to tell your story, but keep it brief and um, give them, be very succinct about what it is that you want them to do. In my case, um, it was kinship care. I gave them the statistics. I told them what happened to me. And I told them a little bit about what was happening around the state. It seemed to get attention. And so, and don't give up. I went two years before somebody answered my letter. Per- persistence counts. Yes. Yeah. Well, Norma, thank you so much for sharing your story, for inspiring our listeners. Uh, I don't think I ever talk to you that I'm not humbled by the example that you give. Listeners, we will see you this Thursday, January 23rd, at Children's Advocacy Day in Frankfurt. We're counting on you to help us pack the rotunda, come early, be ready to raise your voice on behalf of kids. For more details on Children's Advocacy Day and for more information in successfully advocating around those supports for kinship caregivers, visit kyyouth.org. This is Terry Brooks. Thanks for listening to Making Kids Count. Thank you for listening to the Making Kids Count podcast with Terry Brooks. For more information and to listen to more episodes, visit kyyouth.org slash podcast. Kentucky Youth Advocates is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who doesn't accept government money so that we can remain truly independent. To support this podcast and our mission as the independent voice for Kentucky kids, please consider making a gift at kyyouth.org slash donate.